1: I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Hello, everyone. So actually, I had this whole amazing episode already ready for this week, but actually got a little bit long, so I want to dig in deeper into some parts of it. I'm going to talk about it at the end, what it is, so you'll know for next week. But then I got this really strong urge, and I got inspired to talk about this topic today, which is the reasons many times that positive discipline doesn't always work. So what often ends up happening is either it worked for a bit, you'll have some tools, that are working really well, and they just stop working, or they just fall flat from the beginning, and it's just getting no effect. Your child is pushing back, just isn't having it. So I work with parents a lot in small group chats on our membership group or in private coaching or answering questions after a presentation, and I get these questions a lot, and I realize I really... Um, it's really helpful to dig into this. So I hear this: X doesn't seem to work with us. Whether it's you know this tool or that tool, choices doesn't work for us. One, two, three magic doesn't work for us. Or one, two, three magic used to work great, it stopped working. Timeouts don't work. Now that one I definitely know because I definitely don't advocate for that one. And I tell parents, timeouts don't work. You need to we need to do other tools. You know the consequences aren't working in our house. Um, a particular communication tool, you name it. Sometimes they'll tell me it worked great, like I said, it'll work great for a while, and then it just stopped being effective, or their child is just refusing altogether. So I've walked through thousands of these scenarios with parents, and I've found four common reasons that are misconceptions, oversights, and using techniques effectively. So the first issue I see is overusing a particular discipline strategy. So we get so excited when we've been struggling with a particular behavior, and we learn a strategy that works. We start using it all over the place for everything, for coming to the table, for putting on shoes, toy cleanup, for getting in the car. It's like discovering a new flavor and putting it on everything, like sriracha, sriracha on eggs, sriracha on my vegetables, sriracha on everything. But like an overused flavor, an overused discipline strategy will wear out. It gets old fast. The more it gets used, the quicker it wears out. Just as an example, and this is just one of many, but I see this a lot with 123 Magic. Parents often tell me it just stopped working, and it's because it's getting overused in these cases. It's so easy, the steps are easy, there's no guesswork. Once you know how to implement it, you know the pitfalls and the little genius tactics that I talk about avoiding. Those are the things that our kids will do to try to get around a discipline. They'll try to find those little holes, but when you know those and you can plug those up, this tool is so super effective that parents love it. So they use it on everything for every exchange from getting dressed to getting teeth brushed to getting ready for bed and everything in between. It's meant to be one of many strategies, not the strategy. And I do talk about how it's a great first discipline tool, especially for setting boundaries with really young toddlers under the age of three, up to maybe three and a half, and it absolutely is. But we need our discipline to be varied so that they can remain very effective. I'm gonna talk more about this, how to do this as we go through these reasons. But this takes some practice to figure out which techniques work best in different scenarios, and different requests, different moods. As soon as we figure all that out, then it changes. So knowing and understanding the ins and outs of all the strategies is very, not just helpful, but pretty important. So another reason I see discipline not working is Not advancing the technique with the child's age and development. Using the same tools too long or too late into development. Now, obviously, we don't have the same types of discipline exchanges with a 12-year-old as we do with a two-year-old. The approach will change as the child develops, but sometimes it's hard to see or understand the changes when we're in the thick of the day-to-day. A tool worked so well just last week, and now all of a sudden, They're pushing back on it. They're just refusing, it's not working. This can be because they're maturing in ways that make the way that we handled it last week feel a little less than great to them. The choices is a great example of this. Choices can be used from ages of about one and a half to two, depending on your child's development. You might be able to start using it at one and a half, but for some kids it might be a little better at two, all the way through 10. But It's going to change vastly through those years our kids will drop hints there's ways that they will interact with us when we use the tool that show us when they're ready for the next level of the tool another level of responsibility so that's why in the class on choices i cover guidelines by age but i also share the signs to look for that your child is ready for that next level because as we all know every child isn't going to be in lockstep with that exact age It's not like, oh, she turned four yesterday, so it's time to do it this way now. No, that's not really how it works. Of course not. But it's a guideline and something to be aware of and to keep in mind how it's going to change as our child ages. But your individual child will let you know and show you the signs that he or she is ready for you to move that tool up, to give them, open it up and give a little more freedom in the use of it and the way that you address them with it. And so you'll know to move that up to the next level. Now, one, two, three magic is another example. I see getting used way beyond its freshness date. It's really meant for kids three and under. And by three, it should be phased out rather quickly. So it's it's a process that you're gonna phase out over time. Around two and a half to three, you're gonna start phasing it out. By three and a half, you're really using the tool maybe once or twice a week when you really need it to set a strong boundary and they're just not cooperating. If you've used it judiciously early on, it will still work when you really need it. But I also tell parents that if you're new to positive discipline, you've never really used any of the tools, it feels overwhelming, and you just are getting your feet wet, it's a really great first tool to start with, even if your child is older, even if your child is four, maybe five, but you wanna use it and then you wanna get up to speed on a couple of the other tools and start rolling some more tools in and phase that one out quickly because if you have a five-year-old, that tool's not gonna work very well for very long. It's gonna get overused. They're gonna get really sick of it because developmentally, they're really beyond it, but it's okay to use it a little bit at first. Okay, so there's a couple more common reasons I see parents struggling with discipline. This is including not using a tool correctly. So if you're missing a step, Your preschooler finds the hole in the discipline, and you don't know what to do, and then it becomes ineffective. They've just stepped around it. So I'm gonna give some examples of this. So the first example is, and I use this a lot with one, two, three magic. One way that this gets used incorrectly is when when parents count too fast. This doesn't give the child time to think about what choice they want to make. When we count really fast, it sets their thoughts into this panic mode. They're trying to consider the choice, but they only have a split second. So they're they're now moved into their fight or flight system, into that limbic response system. They can't think. They can't make a choice. They're overwhelmed. And instead of this logical mind of making the choice where they can make the choice from, they can't make that logical decision. And now the result of not choosing to put the toy away because they didn't do it in a split second or whatever it is, is coming down on them. And now they're upset about the consequence because they didn't even get a chance to make the choice. In addition, they're resentful on top of it because they don't feel like it was fair. They don't feel like this was handed out fairly. So now they're going into full meltdown mode. So we really need to count slowly. When we count slowly, we literally, I'm talking three to five seconds between the counts gives them time to process and think about the response, the choice that they want to make. It may sound super slow to you and I, but you wanna count like this. By the count of three, I need you to put the toy away. One, two, so that sounds really slow to us, but they need that. It tells them, I'm giving you time to think about it. And you'll see their little wheels start clicking in there. You'll know that they're thinking about this and they're gonna make a decision. And most of the time they will make a very good decision and decide to follow through. Now, in addition to that, there's many other reasons that one 2 3 Magic can become and be rendered ineffective in the way that it's used. So let's just think about an adult. And so imagine as an adult that we've been asked to make a choice about something and say dinner. Um, Do you wanna have fish or do you wanna have beef for dinner? Oh my gosh, you're taking it too long. We're gonna have fish. Like what? Give me a few seconds to think about it and come up with an answer. Same thing with our kids. You wanna give them a chance just because it's a discipline exchange doesn't mean they don't deserve the time to think about that choice. So we wanna give them the time to do that so they feel like it's handed out fairly. Okay, I wanna give a couple more examples on ways that tools can be handled uh, and render them ineffective when they're not used properly. And then in addition, ha- I have one more reason and some more general tips about discipline tools and why they might not be working, why they don't always work effectively, and, and how you can avoid those issues. When we get back, after a word from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. Curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with the code parenting for a limited time.
0: Additional terms and conditions apply.
1: Now that we're back after the break, I'm gonna give another example for when a discipline tool isn't used properly. So my second example is when a consequence doesn't work. Now, there's many reasons a consequence might not work, but this is just one I'm gonna to give today. Sometimes a consequence will stop working when it used to work like gangbusters, but this time the reaction is, whether it's words or an action, eh, I don't really need that, I don't care. So. Either they'll say it or they'll just ignore you. But you may say, I need you to pick up your toys so that we can go on the play date. We can't go on the play date until the toys are all put away. And they're just like either ignore you or they're like, "Ah, I don't really wanna go anyway. Okay, Uh, I really expected that to work and it didn't. So now I've got nothing. So we just feel like we were rendered powerless. What do we do? Many times parents will just not follow through. They're like, well, they don't care. So they either pull out another consequence to try to get compliance because they really want to go on the play date. They want to go see their parent friend because they want to be around an adult. They want to get out of the house. They They want to do something, but the child acts like they don't care. So like I said, they'll either pull out another consequence to try to get some compliance or They'll just go ahead and go anyway because they wanted to go and they figured the consequence didn't work, so they'll have to figure out another time. However, what did the child just learn? Well, whether she actually cared or didn't actually care about the consequence, either way, your child just learned that if she acts like she doesn't care, she gets out of the consequence. And that is a powerful discovery. It renders pretty much every consequence from here on out ineffective. So if this happens, if your child acts like she doesn't care about a consequence, I don't care if she's 2 or if she's 15, you want to follow through anyway. If she really doesn't care, then you'll scrap it for next time. But this way, you aren't rendering all future consequences completely ineffective. So let's just say in the case of the playdate scenario you wanna go ahead and follow through and just say, okay, well, if you change your mind, we'll go after you clean up your toys and get your shoes on. In the meantime, I'll be here on the computer in the dining room, you just let me know. Then you'll find out if your child really cares about the consequence or not. If they don't, they won't get ready, they won't put the toys away and you'll know for the next time, okay, I'm not gonna use that consequence. But if they do, because oftentimes they will, go ahead and follow through and do whatever it was that you asked them to do, they'll be ready standing there with their shoes on ready to go before you can bat an eyelash. So then you'll know, okay, they do care about the consequence. And you called their bluff. So there are tons and tons and tons of examples I have seen with working with parents over the years where a missing step or a lack of knowledge in their child's development or proper usage of these tools will render it completely ineffective. They no longer can use the tool until they learn to use it effectively. And then the parent ends up feeling like either their child is just, particularly difficult child that they're just an ineffective parent or they're incompetent or they get, get so frustrated but they have no idea how to fix it and it just becomes this downward cycle because the tools aren't working for them and they have nothing to use to start helping their child work on these skills that they need to set down boundaries and learn expectations and this just isn't happening in the home and then they're resorting to things like yelling and screaming and threatening and begging and pleading And so the discipline can start to go downhill from there. So we really wanna get a tight hold on these tools. You wanna know them well. You wanna know how to use them. You wanna know what these common areas of pitfalls and areas where, you know, when used in certain ways or when the child finds a certain way around it that doesn't work, to get it back on track. So when I work with parents and they find out it's really just a lack of knowledge that there's a few small tweaks that can make all the difference, and they make these changes they can't believe that's all it was. <laughs> they are so happy, but they're a little frustrated that they spent some time banging their head and trying to figure out what's going on or, you know, getting to this place where they were so frustrated with the discipline when it was really just a few small changes. Because these things don't come naturally, like I've said. They... Okay, the last reason I often see discipline strategies fail is not using our best practices for strategies. So, what do i mean by this what am i trying to say well in positive discipline there's a particular tools that should be relied upon very heavily while others are really sprinkled in or they're a last resort type of tool so there's a general recommended order so of course there are times and places and circumstances where the recommended order isn't just feasible or you know you need to do an approach in a certain way because you just know you've done this before, you know this one works in this scenario and this is what you need to use. But in general, if the recommended tools are being used properly, if they're being used most frequently throughout the day, it sets up a really strong foundation for a lot of cooperation, which means we don't need to use these other tools nearly so often like our consequences, like our one, two, three magic, like our choices, we don't need to use those so much. And then when we do need to jump to that particular tool, that fits the scenario, it's not going to cause any problems short or long term because we're using them sparingly, we're using them intermittently, and because they're such a great foundation for all the other positive tools and cooperation, then they're just struggling a little bit because they're tired. They're struggling a little bit for some other reason. But you pull out these other tools that you don't use very often, and it's much more effective, and they're not gonna disrupt your discipline ecosystem. So here's an example. As consequences, like I actually are just alluded to, should be used as a last resort because once we get to consequences, we're working on next time, the next exchange. So we want to give our child every opportunity within reason to make a good choice. So there is a certain order that we want to use the tools in when we can. So give them an opportunity to make a good choice before we go to consequences And because of this, consequences is one of those tools that often gets overused. It's fast, it's easy, it often gets compliance, especially early on. We can throw out a consequence from across the room with a baby in one hand and stirring the soup with the other. So we throw out the consequence in hopes that we can get this solved quickly with little to no further intervention. Stop throwing the blocks right now or I'm going to put them up for the rest of the evening. And it works let's just say it worked your child stopped throwing the blocks around peace is restored and you can keep going on with everything else that you're juggling the catastrophe is averted but what ends up happening is that this works for a little while until it doesn't so too many too often pulling the consequences out off the cuff and they become ineffective then when we really need them as a last resort when we have guided our child or given opportunities in making better choices, and they just aren't making a good choice today, the consequence is also a lot less effective or ineffective because it's been overused and used in so many scenarios. So, this is the same with 123 magic because it's easy and effective with young kids. It tends to be the go to, it tends to get overused, like I talked about earlier. But I want to make this point about 123 magic because what we really wanna do is make sure we're building this foundation, an environment with the positive tools, making those our mainstays, and then using one, two, three magic when we really need our toddler to comply, because one, two, three magic is, in essence, a thinly veiled consequence. Now, it does offer a choice first, so it is a choice-consequence combination, and those are great to use, But it so it's not fully a consequence tool, however, If parents start using it as the go-to tool and not using the other tools first, using them in a a much more effective order, then it's going to become ineffective. So lastly, I want to make some general points, and that is it's okay to try something, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't mean it won't ever work. It doesn't mean it won't ever work even in this particular scenario you just used it in. It just may not be the best tool in that particular scenario at that time. Or it might not be in that particular scenario, but you'll troubleshoot that, you'll figure it out. Some tools will work great for some things, and they won't work well for others. But some tools just won't work that day for particular reasons, for some random reason. Because your child is tired because she didn't get a nap at daycare that day. She has a meltdown. Because when you are trying to tell her she needs to put the toys away, she doesn't want to put away the castle that she just spent all this time and effort building. And so she's feeling really upset about that. So now the choices of which blocks to put away first didn't work so well. So it's okay to have trial and error with discipline. It's okay to figure out what works and what doesn't work. And you'll learn when your child's tired what not to use or how to use it. And you'll learn in different scenarios what your child needs from you first in order to use a a discipline tool. But every exchange doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't mean we need to forget trying that again or even trying again in that scenario. If we try it a couple times and it just falls on deaf ears, it's not working, we may need to go back and troubleshoot. Am I missing a step? Is there a piece that I'm forgetting? Have I been using this too much? You want to go back and see what is going on. Is it just not good today? Is there something particular happening? So you wanna do some troubleshooting steps before you completely throw out using a particular tool. Or am I not using it up to her developmental level? Is she just kind of over this because we've been using the red shirt or the blue shirt too many times and now she's ready to move on from that. So we take a look, deeper look, we're gonna problem solve why it may not have gone the way we had hoped. So if you have a tool and if you have an exchange and it isn't great and it doesn't go really well, you also wanna remember what really matters in parenting is the relationship, it's the overall. So when you're using these positive tools and you're really making this the foundation of your day, of interacting in a positive way and getting more cooperation, if you have a tool and you have an exchange that doesn't go so great, it's okay. It's okay to troubleshoot, it's okay that it didn't go perfect, it's okay to try again another time. So when we're using these positive tools, we're connecting. We're setting expectations with love. And it's the attitude underneath that they can feel, that they get from us, that we do what we do out of love because we want our child to become the best version of themselves. And we're helping them gain those skills, whether it's cleaning up their toys before dinner, it's eating a healthy meal, it's setting up solid expectations at bedtime. Then when we have a tool or exchange that doesn't go perfectly well, it doesn't go really great, This is really just a little hiccup and you'll troubleshoot and you'll figure out the reasons why. Because our intentions and the way we approach things and our love shows through. So all I'm saying here is just don't be afraid to make a quote unquote mistake because I've had parents come to me and they just feel like they made a mistake because this exchange didn't go very well and they're afraid to use it again. They feel like they don't know how to use it or they feel like it's not a good tool for them. She had this big meltdown the last time I gave her the choices about the toy cleanup and I don't want to do that again. So what we're going to do is we're going to learn from that and we're going to use it a little bit differently next time. We're going to tweak it a little bit next time. We're going to figure out what we were missing or the way that we approached it that we're going to do a little bit differently and that's okay because we're human and we're not going to do everything perfectly. This is a process in learning to have a relationship with a developing human. So you know Because it doesn't come naturally, this is why scientists at universities still study child development and motivational psychology, because we aren't born knowing how to skillfully guide and support children and adults at each age and stage to help them grow into their best selves. So we have a lot of great tools. We have a lot of knowledge about child development right now and about how to motivate them positively. But it's still a process that we're discovering more and more. So that's why in the discipline tools classes, I go through these tools in order that I recommend as best practices for parents for the best opportunity for building cooperation, for self-esteem, and all the other positive benefits of the positive discipline. And I recommend that parents practice the first tools first. So there's a group of tools, three or four of them, that are kind of the first tools on a big basis. I tell parents, do these first, get these down, work on these for at least a week or two until you have them down really solid, then start mixing in other tools. You go to the next set of tools, mix those in for a week or two, the next set of tools, mix those in for a week or two so that you're already in this practice of leaning on the more positive tools first, And then the moderate tools, and then the ones that are really need to be used sparingly, like consequences, last and you build it up in that order. I know it's great to have them all. I know it's great to know how to use them and mix and match perfectly, but it is a process. It does take time. It's a long-term relationship connection that you're setting up, so it's okay if it takes you a month to really get these down and get them down well, because that's what you want. You want them. You want to know them really well. You don't want to just be throwing them out and saying, oh, I'm gonna try this, I'm gonna try this. You want to know them well and unfold them in a way that really brings the most cooperation. If you want to learn about the tools, you want to learn about which ones to use first, which ones to lean on, get those down really well, know all the steps, know the pitfalls to avoid, and you want to really build the most effective discipline ecosystem, you can see the Discipline Tools classes. Discipline Tools for toddlers, preschoolers, school age, which is 5 to 10, and tweens and teens. Also, getting kids to listen, power struggles, misbehaviors and solutions. I love this class. It's a great class. It digs into the reasons behind common misbehaviors, And lots of ways to circumvent those. Those are so important because kids will misbehave for a reason. They will continue a behavior for a reason. There's some kind of payoff. And you want to get underneath to what that is. Once you can get underneath to what that is, you can fix it very effectively. So another great class, honesty and manners. If you're struggling with some manners, you want to teach manners and honesty. Honesty development by age. Understanding that also helps too. Also, the class on tantrums is another great one, understanding tantrums, understanding how to work with those, how to help your kids work through them. It helps them develop their emotional skills, their social skills, so that they can work through those tantrums easier and develop those neural connections. Those are all on the website, along with 60 parenting classes on demand at yourvillageonline.com. If you would like to follow me on Instagram, you can find us at yourvillageonline on Instagram, If you have any comments or questions, please send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Also, I wanted to quickly mention the class for next week. So I was recording this class and it got really long. I'm going to divide it into two parts. And it's on parenting styles because this is another basis for the way that we build our connection with our children. And there are four traditional parenting styles that were studied and coined in the 1960s. They're still the gold standard for today that psychologists use. But in addition, there's several other parenting styles that have cropped up in the past several decades that some have become popular, some have kind of risen in popularity and fallen off. We, we have seen some of the downfalls of some of those. And so these are really important things to note and that we are not all fall into one discipline style all the time we will move from one to the other. We're going to be a little fluid depending on the situation. And so being able to recognize that when we're um, flowing more into one or flowing more into the other and pulling back to the ones that are just much more effective. And so this is a really great, really interesting topic that I'm going to break down into two episodes to really help parents understand their parenting style, also where it comes from, because sometimes we really need to take a deeper look on where our parenting style comes from, why we are doing things the way that we do so that if it isn't the most effective, we can make some changes to move into a more effective parenting style or more predominantly into a more effective parenting style. Because like I said, we're going to kind of switch back and forth, but I talk about how to pull ourselves back into one of the more effective styles in that podcast episode also. So thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week.